Hello and welcome to Eyes on Research, the podcast that digests the latest scientific innovations in eye research using simple and understandable terms. I am your host, Thales Guimarães, medical doctor and clinician scientist at Northfield's Eye Hospital. Hello and welcome to another episode of this podcast. Today, we'll be talking about cone dystrophies and cone rod dystrophies, um, including what they are and some of the questions that um, I get from some of my colleagues and from some patients as well. So the typical question that we get is, is this a cone dystrophy or a cone rod dystrophy, right? And it's not as simple as it looks. So we'll just talk a little bit about that and give the aim of this is giving patients and other doctors the tools to think for themselves of what exactly is affecting them. So um, I think the best way to start is by putting cone and cone rod dystrophy in its uh, group of conditions, right? So cone and cone rod dystrophies are example of inherited retinal diseases. And inherited retinal diseases is a clinically and genetically heterogeneous group of conditions, meaning that there's a variety of clinical findings that patients have, including um, what is the age that the symptoms started, which we call age of onset, what are the symptoms that you have and to what extent you have those symptoms. And it's genetically heterogeneous because there's a variety of genes that may cause inherited retinal disease. Just to give you an idea, there's around 300 genes that were already identified as causative for inherited retinal disease. So it's no, it's a very big group of genes. Now, these diseases are bilateral and in most times symmetrical. Uh, there are some asymmetries that can be found in some patients. So, for example, the right eye may be the stronger eye or the left eye may be the stronger eye and uh, the findings in the retina or how the retina looks may be a little bit different, but in most cases, they are symmetric. The estimated prevalence of inherited retinal diseases as a group of conditions, as this umbrella term that encompasses many diseases, is 1 to 3,000 individuals. So it's more frequent than you think and is actually the leading cause of legal blindness among working-age adults in the UK and the second cause of legal blindness in kids. Now, there are various ways that a patient can inherit these diseases, and one of them is dominant, which means the patients only need one copy of that gene to have the disease, the, the, the mutation on that gene to have a disease. It can also be recessive, where the patients need a double dose to have the disease. It can be linked to the X chromosome, where females are typically carriers and males are affected. And also it can be uh, uh, associated with mitochondrial inheritance, which is this organelle that we all have that produces energy to the cells and it passes down from mother to offspring, to child. Now, as a subgroup of this big group, cone and cone rod dystrophy uh, have an estimated prevalence of 1 to 20,000 to 100,000 individuals. Of course, it's rarer than the big group because <laughs> it's a subgroup of that, but it's still relatively common, right? And the way that I think of this, and you know, uh, each doctor develops their own way, this is also to help patients think about this a little bit, is that um, I get the inherited retinal disease groups 
and I put them into two different big subgroups first. The first subgroup being stationary retinal dysfunction syndromes, so diseases that don't change with time. And in the other group is progressive retinal dystrophies. Now, just to give you some examples of stationary retinal dysfunction syndromes, uh, I separate those, I further separate those into rod dysfunction and cone dysfunction, right? The most common example of rod dysfunction is congenital stationary night blindness, but there are other examples like fundus albi punctatus, Oguchi disease, and then you also have the, the cone dysfunction syndromes like achromatopsia and blue cone monochromatism. By far, congenital stationary night blindness is the most common cause of rod dysfunction and cone dysfunction, the achromatopsia is the most common cause. And then you have the progressive retinal disorder group, right? This is where things get really common. So ex uh, you can separate those into rod cone dystrophy, cone and cone rod dystrophy, retinal dystrophies, and macular dystrophies. Just to give you a few examples, rod cone dystrophies, you can have liberal congenital amaurosis, which, by the way, there is a treatment for one of these forms now. Early onset severe retinal dystrophy and retinitis pigmentosa. Then you can also have cone and cone rod dystrophies. Amongst the retinal dystrophy groups, you can have something called gyrate atrophy and then choroderemia. And you also have this subgroup of macular dystrophies, which are relatively common. Stargardt disease, Best disease, and X-linked retinoschisis. But the whole purpose of this episode is to talk about cone and rod, right? Because when we think of cone rod dystrophies and cone dystrophies, it's, it, it's all in the name right but it's not an easy um an easy classification because these diseases typically overlap and we talk about that really soon but just to clarify a few things first the way that we see things is that the photons of light come inside the eye cross the entire media of the eye which is clear reach the back section of the retina the outer segment of the retina which generates a cascade of events that sends this information to the inner section of the retina, and then this gets sent to the brain via electrical impulses, right? That's exactly how we see things, and then the brain is responsible for the, uh, the interpretation of that as an image. So when we're talking about cone and rod, we're talking about the light-sensitive cells that perceive the photons of light and are hit by the photons of light in the outer segments of the retina. So that's the first thing to understand. Then when we're talking about cone and rod, cones are more numerous in the retina center. There's around 4.6 million cells, million light-sensitive cells, cones, in the retina. And there's three different types of pigments in these cones, and they have three different functions. So you can have cones with... Uh, pigments that we call opsins that are fine-tuned to the long wave spectrum, the medium wave spectrum, or the short wavelength uh, spectrum. This is red, green, and blue, RGB. And by the way, we have another episode on genetics of high color, which I do discuss a little bit about um, theory of color and how the opsins kind of work so feel free to check that out if you're interested in this so because they have these three types of opsins the three, these three types of pigments 
cones give us color vision, right? And cones give us central vision, fixation, high spatial resolution. So the main part of how we see things come from cones. On the other side of the spectrum, you have rods. And rods have a specific type of pigment or opsin, if you'd like, called rhodopsin. You may have heard of this or not. Uh, this pigment is achromatic in nature. Achromatic meaning no color, it doesn't perceive any colors. And we have around 92 million rods in our retina. That's 20 times more than the amount of cones that we have. These are higher, they have a higher sensitivity to light, so they are mainly used for night vision. And they don't give us a real good visual equity. There's a specific region in the center of the retina that's a rod-free zone, that we only have cones. That's the most important part of our central vision. Now that we know what cones and rod do, let's talk about the symptoms, right? Which I think it's uh, what the patients can use to distinguish this. Symptoms of cone dysfunction. Reduce central vision, right? Remember that they are very much present in the center of the, of the retina. And nystagmus in some cases, meaning that nystagmus are those back and forth movements that some patients have um, that are related to an underdeveloped uh, retina or to loss of central vision, loss of fixation. Then because the cones also give you color vision, right, because of the three different pigments that they have, Patients typically have color vision difficulties, and this can be on any axis of the spectrum. They don't, unless it's a specific phenotype, like blue cone monochromatism, um, the color vision tends to be all over the place, the color vision difficulties. And also, patients have an increased light sensitivity. So these are the symptoms of cone dysfunction. What are the symptoms of rod dysfunction? Night blindness. Right, because they they have a higher sensitivity to light, and hence they are used in the dark, with or without constriction of the visual field. And this is a very important distinction to make, right? Because when we think of rod cone dystrophies like retinitis pigmentosa, the rods they they uh, get damaged first and they lose their function first. And we tend to think that this is what causes constriction of the visual field, but that's not exactly how things work. The cones are responsible for spatial resolution as well. What happens is that the rods have a specific um, uh, molecule that they produce, which is essentially called rod-derived cone viability factor, meaning exactly what the word says. Uh, it's, a, it's something that um, keeps the survivability of cones um, or keeps the cones surviving for longer. So when you don't have the rods, what happens is that the cones die as a secondary um, thing. So that's why some diseases typically overlap. Another thing to notice, and that's another thing that may be causing difficulties with your doctors um, identifying these diseases, is because, as I said in the beginning, they overlap, right? So a disease may start as a pure cone dystrophy, but at a certain point of the disease, it can evolve with rod dysfunction as well. And that may be 20 years after the start of symptoms, right? So it's important to know that it's not because your doctor doesn't know, it's just because 
some of these uh well it's first it's kind of like a, a you know it's not a very specific classification and also symptoms may overlap and show up at a later stage now you have the tools to differentiate those two i also want to talk about a few other things that are coming uh since we are in this subject so uh when we think about treatments uh we i think it's safe to say that we live in the era of gene therapy in the past 10 years or so and at least in the next 10 we'll be living in the era of gene therapy we already are it's not a science fiction anymore with some gene therapy therapies being approved there are many hundreds of gene therapies which are ongoing different phases of study right phase three phase two phase one preclinical meaning that uh, it's been tested in animals and we'll talk about phases of res uh, of research in a different episode but we these these gene therapies are for a wide variety of indications just some names that may uh, may be you know known to you alzheimer's disease parkinson's disease pompe disease retinitis pigmentosa all of these are target for gene therapies. So how, what are the best sources? And that's one of the questions that I get from patients. What are the best sources that I can find these treatments? Either be gene therapy or not. It can be something else. It can be a neural supplementation of vitamins, for example. The best sources are charities. So places like Retina UK, Foundation Fighting Blindness, macular society these are great sources of uh, information of real information family support groups so places like Stargard connected um, which by the way we just interviewed the the ceo of that bavina taylor she's lovely i recommend you checking out the episode uh, of last week and also other places like cure usher places like this and, of course, your doctor. Now, your doctor would be the best source to find this kind of information. What I would say is that, you know, don't think that he'll know everything because we don't, right? And what we tell you does not substitute the research that you have to do on your own. So, so uh, there has been cases where patients come to us and say, oh, did you see this? And we haven't even seen that because it's so new. Uh, or just in that same week that was announced. So, you know, it's it's very important to talk to your doctor as well. But do your own research. And lastly, I would always recommend clinicaltrials.gov as a proof-safe website. Uh, clinicaltrials.gov is a website that's kept by the U.S. National Library of Medicine. And if there's any clinical trials that, you know, are worth knowing about they will be listed there <laughs> not all observational studies are listed there uh, but the main clinical trials should be listed there another thing i should say is that you know most of these diseases uh, they cause severe loss of vision in early age and you know there's no cure available for any of them sometimes i get some of my colleagues which may be retina specialists very smart people and they say oh we can finally do something right um we can finally treat our patients because Luxturna was just approved in October 2017. Luxturna is a gene therapy for liver congenital amaurosis caused by mutations on a gene named RPE65. 
And whenever I hear one of my colleagues saying that, you know, it, it gives me a little bit of uh, heart palpitations because I have been treating my patients throughout my life, throughout my career. No cure is not the same as doing nothing, right? It's completely different things. So patients with some severe forms of cone dysfunction, right? Since we're talking about cone dysfunction and broad dysfunction. So, for example, get achromatopsia, which is a disease that causes severe light sensitivity. We can offer the patients tinted lenses and sunglasses. And the photophobia, the light sensitivity that these patients have is so severe that this actually improves their vision because they can open their eyes, right? Otherwise, it's too, it's too bright. Prescription glasses, very important because some of these inherited retinal diseases are associated with refractive errors. So things like short-sightedness, long-sightedness. So, you know, it's very important to correct glasses because if you don't correct for high prescription at an early age, patients may not develop vision. Kids may not develop vision. So by correcting for the prescription, you're giving them the best chance. Also, lifestyle changes, you know, keeping as healthy as you can and eating plenty of green vegetables, fish, and all of those things because we know these are healthy uh, for you. And, you know, try to stop smoking. This is one of the lifestyle changes that we tell patients to do because there's evidence that, and, and pretty strong evidence that uh, smoking is bad for the retina. Similarly, patients want to know, right, uh, is there a clinical trial that I'm eligible for? Is there any observational study uh, that I would be eligible for? And I talk a lot about observational studies, and we'll talk about this really soon. But um, these are things that patients can be offered. And then another thing is genetic counseling and family planning, right? You want to know if your kid has a chance of getting something that you have, right? And what are the chances of a second kid having it as well? So genetic counselors and, you know, genetic testing may help you with that. So it's very important to know your gene. And some of these genes are associated with ocular and systemic abnormalities, right? So it's very, very important to define exactly what's causing that disease. And it's not always possible. Around 40% of the genetic tests that we do, we don't have for inherited retinal diseases. We don't really have... Um, um, a gene mutation. It's because we don't know everything there is to know about genetics just yet. Patients want to prepare their lives, right? Some of the few questions that I get, will I get blind? How fast will this progress? Will I be able to drive? What adjustments should I do in advance? Should I use a mobility, a mobility aid? Should I learn Braille? Should I have a guide dog? All of these answers will change depending on the gene involved. So as a kind of summary, I would say that inherited retinal diseases as a big umbrella term is amongst the most common causes of loss of vision, particularly in the working age adults and in kids. There's a wide clinic and genetic heterogeneity, meaning there's a diversity of symptoms and the age which they start and also a diversity or a variety of genes that are involved in those diseases, to which cone and cone rod dystrophy are a part of. Inherited retinal diseases typically involve either the skin of the retina, so the epithelium below the light-sensitive cells, the cone or the rod system, which are the light-sensitive cells, or all of those. So 
They frequently overlap. Remember that. And novel therapies are ongoing or anticipated in, you know, the next five to ten years. So keep posted because new things will come. And one of the things that I should say, which is very important, is that knowledge of basic disease mechanisms will come from observational research. So animal models, observational research in, in humans, right? This will dictate patient counseling, future therapeutic approaches, and they will provide the ideas for these therapeutic approaches. So it's very important, you know, um, to participate in observational studies because they do help a lot. Thank you so much for listening to me today and I hope to see you in the next episode. So guys, if you like the work we do, please consider supporting us, sharing, following, liking our videos. On our website, www.eyesonresearch, you have the opportunity uh, to support us and you also have access to our Buy Me A Coffee website where it's another uh, possibility of supporting us as well. Our supporters will be having uh, the opportunity to suggest themes for short videos and podcast episodes like this. So please do consider supporting us. We have also TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. <laughs> so make sure to follow us on social media. We post short videos every week. And these are very up-to-date topics. So, you know, feel free to follow, share, and subscribe to us. And I hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.